harvest has finished up, and here are the top varieties in the U.S. A David and Goliath story in the Czech Republic. Our favorite whipping boy is the one with the slingshot. Antiquated laws in Minnesota keep breweries from doing growler sales. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, craft beer news for industry workers or anyone else trying to hide their massive alcoholism behind a semi-stable career. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. <laughs> see, my goal when I'm writing these every week is just to see if I can't get a reaction from you. <laughs> that was a good one. That reminds me of the South Park episode. It's not alcoholism, I'm having a flight. <laughs> so, see, so... That put that one on our shirt ideas. There was the uh, IPA <laughs> one. There's this one. I'm just basically like floating uh, our new wardrobe line every, every week. Fuck it. We need to start a merch store. <laughs> it will get there when we have uh, you know more than like five downloads. Fuck that. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you, the five people that download. Slightly more than that, but I mean, there's a core five of you that I dearly love. <laughs> Thank you. So, Tyler, what are we drinking today? Well, since uh, we are recording this at 9 a.m., uh, we are drinking some coffee that you so generously provided. So not to absolutely ruin the mystique due to uh, uh, our scheduling conflicts, we had to pull our happy ass out. Well, I had to pull my happy ass out of bed. I think Tyler is already out and about this time in the morning. And uh, yeah, and since we haven't graduated into the severe alcoholism enough to actually uh, start drinking beer at 9 a.m., we actually both... Just opted for some coffee and let's plow through this. I drive around all day at work. I don't need to be cracking beers at 9 a.m. I mean, I probably could show up half lit, but uh, I think decorum will, would just dictate. I think uh, I, th- I think my boss would appreciate me to be at least like mostly sober. So I'll start I'll start drinking a little bit before I go to work. So <laughs> I think that's I think that's the best way to smooth this out. All right, let's get into it. Tyler, first story today. Uh. So, Vine Pear posted an article, uh, the top hops harvested in the United States, and they have a nice little infographic with it. Um, so, I'm going to ask you a little trivia questions, Jeremy. Let's see what you can get. Oh, God. I'm bad at trivia. I always... I, I, I yeah, Actually, there was a trivia night I went to that was about hops, and we won, so... Nice. Uh, total acreage by state, rank one through three. We'll see. Um, I know... All right, I think it's Washington is number one. Idaho just got number two this last year, so I'm going to say they still held it. Idaho number two, Oregon number three. And you got all three. Woo! So the acreage breakdown, uh, 39,170 total acres um, for Washington. Oregon has 7,725. Suck it, Oregon. Uh Idaho has 8,140. That's my jam. So, Washington has more than both Oregon and Idaho combined. I mean, okay, yeah, fair enough, but uh, still, you can suck at Oregon. Actually, that's a lie. I like you much better than Washington. Washington kind of sucks. <laughs> um, with here, uh, would you like to kind of guess what Idaho's top five hops harvested are? Okay, well, I'm going to guess in descending order... Number one, um, Columbus or CTZ. Um, number two... You were correct with Zeus. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess number two is... Oh, I'll go on a limb. Citra? No, but close. Okay, so I'm going to assume that was number three. Then my new pick for number two is going to be Cascade. 
Wrong again. All right. I'll give um, you one more shot. All right. Uh, let me think here. Um, what? I, I mean, of all the hop varieties you can grow, I'm going to go with, let's say, Centennial. No, it's our old boss's least favorite hop, Chinook. Really? Okay, I should, yeah. Um, that was, that, I was on my list. So, it breaks it down. It has little hexagons, uh, and each one counts for 250 acres. Zeus has five of those. I mean, Zeus is the, like, the bittering hop that every brewer uses because it's cheap, it's clean, and it's plentiful. Uh, Chinook at number two. Chinook is With the... four... See, Chinook is the weirdly... It doesn't surprise me that your boss doesn't like it. It's a weirdly polarizing hop. Oh, my boss likes it. Oh, okay. Our old boss at the uh, homebrew shop. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was... He, he I, was Magnum. He was, a, he was a Magnum man all along, and I'm not talking about the size of his ding-a-ling. <laughs> uh, and then it was a three-way tie next in Idaho with Citra, Cascade, and Amarillo. Okay, I did not expect Amarillo. I know Citra has just been exploding in the state and everywhere. Every hazy IPA has Citra. It in is it. it is the basis of. I mean, it, a lot of times it has just Citra. In fact, the one we had uh, yesterday, or excuse me, last week, the uh, uh, King Sue was a was a just a Citra hazy IPA. So, yeah, and oddly enough, Idaho's the only one growing Chinook in their top five. Or, the only one of this infographic okay. that has it in their top five. Interesting. Yeah, and they got all the statistics from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to see what was harvested in the top three states. So, All right. Just out of curiosity to say what uh, Oregon or Washington's top one or two were. Yeah, so uh, I'll just kind of go through Washington's top five real quick uh, and then Oregon's top five. So Washington, you, and I'm not counting all these because it's way Fair. more. Fair. Uh, we have Centennial, Citra, Cascade, Simcoe, and Zeus. Okay, yeah, I mean for Washington, all those make sense. I mean Centennial is Centennial is huge. Simcoe, I mean Simcoe and Citra are, are go together, so yeah. it's it's exploding as. I was well. actually kind of surprised Idaho didn't have any Simcoe. You know, I'm not though. I'm not terribly. I see. I someone seemed to tell me that Simcoe doesn't grow terribly well here, and that would make sense. So. It's just something about the something about the drier climate that Simcoe doesn't terribly like. But it's kind of like Centennial doesn't like to grow here, right? At least in the southern part of the state. I don't know about the northern. Oregon, we have Cascade, Willamette. Yeah, old school, nice. I mean, and and named for the place where it's grown. Yeah, <laughs> Nugget, mm-hmm. Citra, and Centennial. Okay, yeah, that sounds like the like a roundup of the most popular hops and the most. Plentiful areas, so good to know. Yeah, I was a little surprised seeing Nugget on there. Nugget is still widely used, it's I a, feel. I was going to say, I don't really hear many people using it, but... Oh, see, uh, um, there are, I know a couple of head brewers, even in town, that Nugget is their go-to instead of Columbus or Chinook. Is uh, they, they prefer Nugget as their bittering hop, so... That would make sense. So I that one doesn't surprise me, and it's kind of like Columbus on that one. It's just a, a high alpha, low flavor. Throw it in mm. for a nice neutral bitterness. So and you can get it'll it'll take you a long way for relatively relatively little money. So um, if you're looking to punch up your IBUs for on the cheap, 
Nugget's a good one, as is Nugget, Columbus. Magnum, Columbus. Well, and, like, I, and I understand, like, a lot of people don't like Columbus CTZ uh, because it's got kind of a uh, an earthy flavor. I know the main complaint about Chinook is it has a quote-unquote caddy flavor or, like, litter box. I've picked that up on some beers, but not not too much. Yeah. I, I, I personally love Chinook. One of my favorites. I did a smash beer one time with it that I fucking loved. I think that was one of the, like, I was I, I, I was sort of kind of on board with, against Chinook for whatever reason. I think you brought me the single hop. I'm like, oh, this is quite nice. Yeah. And I've started using it in a whole bunch of things, uh, especially... I did a, an Imperial IPA just recently with a whole bunch of Chinook, and it turned out spectacular. So I'm back on. I, I like that one again. I'm back on board. Yeah, Columbus, uh, the CTZ. So I, I probably should explain. So Columbus Zeus CTZ. What it basically Columbus, is? Columbus Tomahawk Zeus. Got it. It's it's a hot blend that it's basically they they put two, three similar hops together, blended together so that every Every year's crop is pretty much the same, and so um, what you get is this kind of generic bittering hop. Yeah, uh, that is CTZ. So there's your there's your uh, uh, strange hop trivia for you for y'all <laughs> this morning. Yeah, no, it's it's a solid, not my favorite, but I again I use it, it works. All right. Well, Jeremy, what do we got with David and Goliath? Budweiser saves Budweiser news now. Um, <clears throat> this is going to shock a ton of people, but um, here on It's All Beer, um, we like to give AB and Bev a bit of shit. And, uh, a lot. I, it, and well-deserved. I feel like every, about any time we do bring it up, I think they have done some assholish thing that, uh, that they deserve. But, uh, and it is our firm belief that Budweiser mostly produces barely drinkable horse piss. And we've also another theme... That we've talked about is the naming, uh, uh, the the naming conflicts that pop up, especially the most obvious being the keep the key in Keystone, um, <laughs> that that ongoing spat between Stone Brewing and Miller Coors. But actually, we're going to talk about the latest developments and probably the biggest epic name fight in all of beer history. This fight has actually been going on for 112 years. I'd love to be the lawyer on that case. And this is, of course, the rights to the actual name Budweiser. So, um, and this comes from an amazingly well-researched article in Good Beer Hunting by uh, Evan Rail. Um, if I'm going to do kind of my version of the story with commentary, but if you absolutely should go to Good Beer Hunting and read it. If you have any interest in beer history, do it. It's a phenomenal article. Um, Waste some time at work. We know you're looking for an excuse. I mean, that's your, why you're listening to these two dumbasses rant about beer. So after you're done with us, go to Good Beer Hunting. It's spectacular. Um, so, and I, and I was aware of this, uh, of, of this story before, but I didn't know all the nuances. So the stories that was related to me was I understood it. And maybe, <gasps> Tyler, you, uh, uh, you heard this story too, is when Adolphus Bush looking for the ultimate lager to sell to the American public, who was just going absolutely apeshit for loggers at the time, he stumbled on this Czech beer um, from the uh, Budweiser region. Um, it was light, it was drinkable, it was really hoppy, so he had to fix that. Um, he had to throw in a bit of rice, because 
well, A, because it's not because it was more cost effective, it's because that's what the American palate wanted, something even lighter than they were producing there. Um, he got the recipe, brewed it up, and he named it after the region that inspired it. And that's, of course, the Budweiser, it's the Budweiser region in, in German. Um, so he named it Budweiser, which literally means from Budweiser. Except there already was a Budweiser um, at, at the time. Or more specifically, it was Budvar Budweiser. Um, and as the story goes, Anheuser-Busch did what Anheuser-Busch would later become known for. Uh, they were assholes, and they stole the name Budweiser, but you can only, they could only use it in the United States. Elsewhere, Budweiser is known as Bud. Mm-hmm. And in Europe and elsewhere, Bud, uh, Budvar owns the name to Budweiser, except for here in the United States, they have to be called Czechvar. So that was kind of the story as it was related to me. Okay. That makes sense. I knew I didn't know the whole story, but it all kind of seems plausible. Yeah. Um, and I know here locally there's a brewery, uh, Edge Brewing. Mm-hmm. There was also an Edge Brewing over in the Czech Republic or France. Spain, I thought. Spain. Um, and so they can only be Edge Brewing over there. They distribute to the United States. They have to change their name. Um, turns out the story is even more complicated than this. So strap in everybody. This is going to, this, this is going to be an interesting one. All right. It's true that Budweiser has been fighting with, or excuse me, it's true that Budvar has been fighting with Anheuser-Busch since the 1800s. But part of the reason that this fight's been going on for so long is that Budvar actually started brewing beer in 1895. Budweiser started their production in 1876. So actually... They have original trademark on it. Correct. Correct. So original Budweiser is actually 19 years younger than the Budweiser produced in Missouri. Budvar's original Budweiser claim has always been more to do with the where than the when. See, Uh, Budvar claimed to be part of a brewing heritage in Budweis, or as it's known in the Czech Republic, Česke Budějovice. Yes, I spent a whole hour uh, yesterday practicing. Typing it on Google and just hit and play? <laughs> I'm trying to... I, I spent a... Uh, that's why I even bring up the Czech pronunciation, because as near as I can tell, um, uh, the Czech language is built of every letter that no other language wanted. Just go into your computer, look up all the letters with tildes, umlaus, and anything else. That's the entire Czech alphabet. Um, so I bring it up for that reason, because I did spend a lot of time learning how to say it. <laughs> and the second is, despite the fight being kind of tied to Czech national pride, they're fighting over the German name. No one really cares to use the uh, the, the Czech name for the area. And there's a, a whole there's a whole complete history about the, the, the fall of communism, um, German invasion, Czech nationalism. That is a whole morass. I'm just going to go with the the Czechs know that their language is nigh unpronounceable, so they're going to go with the easily, more easily pronounced German. And that's a sad state of affairs when the German name for anything is more pronounceable. <laughs> <laughs> that is, but... So, anyway. Budvar is a part of the Czeske Budjovistja brewing tradition, and they, have cl- and they have claimed that since the, they are... They are there in the place where the style was created. They should have rights to the name other and not the one being brewed in far off Missouri. Except there's one more snag. See, 
There is another brewery in uh, in Budweiss. It's called Samson. I don't know why we suddenly have an anglophobic or, or anglophonic name in the land of no vowels, but it's there, so deal with it. <laughs> I'm just happy to have a name I can pronounce. Um, the with thing, ease. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is that it was founded in 1795. So... In fact, they've branded themselves as the original Budweiser beer, or the Czech equivalent of that, since the 1970s. So, case closed. Samson wins the fight, and there we, we can be done with this whole who gets the Budweiser name completely. Except Samson is almost legendarily bad beer. Like, horrifically bad beer. Like a worse reputation than Bud in America? Like, even worse than Carlsberg. Ooh. They have been kicked from one owner to the next. Um, the Which, if you don't remember, we did a piece uh, back on Carlsberg. Go back, check it out if you didn't hear it. Yes. Um, I mean, they've been kicked around from one owner to the next. Their brewery has been basically neglected. Uh, for what I understand, uh, sanitation efforts were, were, were getting to be abysmal. In fact, a rate beer rating in 2009 that the, uh, that the article cites reads, quote, Ew, not a good start. <laughs> <laughs> there are chewy things floating in it, like toilet paper. At least it smells decent. Gross. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> wow. I'm just, that, if that's a review, you probably have a problem. So yeah, basically, uh, their their operation was was absolutely going downhill, and it has been since the 1990s. Um, they suffered a huge loss of customers in the 90s. Um, Samson went down from 38, uh, th- sorry, 380,000 barrels to 75,000. Okay. Since I haven't read this article yet, I don't know how it plays out. My mind right now is going if AB InBev really just wants to quash this whole thing you've got the capital buy the fucking brewery buy Samson and just say now we got all the trade we're the big swinging dick fuck off funny you should mention that you remember in 2015 when AB InBev was going absolutely on a shopping spree yeah American beer geeks were just misplacing their poo-poo over Elysian, Breckenridge, Ten Barrel, and all the others that fell to the evil empire? Well, yes, you called it. Um, in 2015, Boom shakalaga! As part of their acquisition of uh, of Miller Coors, excuse me, uh, uh, Sab Miller? Thank you. Um, they got their hands on Samson, and nobody really noticed. Except the people in the check. So, that's right. AB InBev now owns the original Budweiser. And apparently, since uh, they acquired it in 2015, they've been doing spectacular work. AB InBev has put $17 million into the Samson Brewery since the acquisition. Um, they've modernized it. They've improved sanitation. they streamlined the system. Um, and the original Budweiser is making a complete comeback. Um, previously, it was nearly impossible to find in its in its locality the locals kind of knew better none of the bars carried it uh there any beer they were selling was being exported um but with the ab InBev cash they've uh you can find they're they're really focusing on getting their beer back on in local bars 
and they've gone back uh, last year. They're back up to eighty thousand barrels, with the goal of getting back up to capacity. Nice. So that brings us back to Budvar. Um, the now with Samson with this, I say this is where the David and Glass story gets weird because it, you got Budvar, which is by far the biggest brewery in the Czech Republic. In fact, still owned by the government. Um, oh, damn. So that's a weird leave over from communism as near as I could tell. So um, A.B. InBev is, like I said, the David in this David and Goliath story. He is the craft brewer to their own exactly. Budweiser. So, but but, but cause Budweiser or Budvar to have to rush to keep up. Um, they're stolen by the Czech government, like I said. So they've got the public funds to draw from. They've been modernizing their brewery. Um, they've upped their production by 30% to 1.7 million barrels, Shit. mostly for export. Um, they've invested in what's being called the most modern packing system in Europe. Um, it opened last year. The beer is packed by robots or picked by robots. It's taken by monorail to trucks where it's shipped out. And Budvar is getting into the craft beer scene a little bit. Um, they have a few tap rooms uh, in and around the uh, Czech Republic. And they've been selling, like, uh, apparently craft beer is taking off in the Czech Republic in a big, bad way. So you can now find IPAs uh, from local breweries on tap in their tap room. And awesome. They, and they even collaborated with uh, another brewery to produce an IPA, which is, it's, they stressed in the article how weird this was. Because um, this brewery is so set in tradition that the idea of even like throwing a little bit of English malt would be akin to shitting in their in their fermenters, um, but, and that many hops. Right, but they still did. The IPA was a Polaris hop, which is still grown in the Czech Republic. So it was more of an augmentation on their style. But the, the, even the fact that they're even flirting with things that are kind of outside their tradition is kind of amazing. So where does that leave us? Well. Um, Budvar still Budvar still has exclusive rights to the word Budweiser in Europe, but Samson actually holds the EU protected geographic indication for Budweiser, making Samson really and truly the champagne of beer. Wow! <laughs> they have exclusive rights to actually call themselves Budweiser from Bud from Budweiser. So, um, and they have the rights to use the protected region now. Big question. Will AB InBev use their power to bully their way into getting the exclusive naming rights of Budweiser? Maybe. It's definitely within their brand. They are the assholes. The good news is, is they're never really going to be able to sell their Budweiser in Europe as Budweiser. Because their biggest, the beer, biggest beer market in Europe is Germany. And if your beer has rice, it ain't beer. Yeah. According to the uh, the German purity laws, you only have four ingredients. And rice ain't among them. What's more important to me that I got out of this article was that with a, a brewery with centuries of uh, brewing history is actually back in fighting condition. And they're doing well. And they're pushing the regional powerhouse to do bigger and interesting things. So if you are a beer fan in the Czech Republic, this is all a good thing. And for all the shit we give AB InBev, and again, all of it deserve... For saving a bit of beer history in a in that part of the world, I think, well done. Thanks for saving Samson. And uh, I, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, and I mean, I, I will give AB InBev a little bit of props 
even when they've been buying breweries here domestically, they've never like tried to s- cut corners on. Let let me think how to phrase this. <laughs> they've never not been willing to invest in better equipment at the new purchase breweries. That's kind of what I've gotten to, and that and they stress that in the article that. The only changes they've made to Samson are modernizing the equipment, improving sanitation, um, helping increase their capacity, haven't messed with the actual recipe at all. They're just making sure that the original recipe that brought Samson to where it is before all hell broke loose is what they're producing, and it's good quality, and that they can get back up to where they were. Now, if they start importing Samson, they will tweak the recipe to get it how it should taste on their system. Correct. Like they did with Goose Island, Breckenridge, all that hoopla, uh, which is really kind of interesting to read uh, in the book about Goose Island selling out. If you want to nerd out, read the book. (laughs) It's a good one. Yeah. I still need to give you my copy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tyler, what's next? So we're going to take a little dip in uh, barrelage per year compared to what you were just talking about. but uh, <laughs> Just a slight one. I mean, this uh, uh, 75,000 barrels a year is still a mid-range brewery, and that's Samson at its low point. So. Yeah. Uh, I found an article on the Star Tribune out of Minnesota. There is a brewery called Castle Danger um, in Two Harbors, Minnesota, that is throwing a party on Monday for their longtime customers, employees. Um, but it's not a celebratory party. It's a party that they're having to showcase that they can no longer sell growlers after that day. Son of a bitch. Okay, so they moved to Texas then. No. Uh, so in Minnesota, there is a state law that prohibits breweries that produce more than 20,000 barrels per year um, from selling the 64-ounce growlers. Well, that's a that's a dumbass rule. Yeah, um, they've named the event the Growler Hiatus Hurrah. Uh, <laughs> Good name, though. <laughs> I was like, all right, uh, because apparently right now there's a legislative battle um, that's coming up in the upcoming session to up that limit to two hundred fifty thousand barrels, little over tenfold. Which it kind of dives into all the Minnesota laws has talked to this. Um, but yeah, they passed the 20,000 barrel mark in 2018. So the, the party, it is the last day they can sell it before they have to stop selling it because they've passed that barrelage mark, which even though, which just made me think this is just proof how many antiquated laws are still left over from prohibition i was gonna ask does it is this a leftover law from prohibition or in the art because i haven't read the article but i mean it is it a one of those or is it one of those that they kind of like when growlers became a thing they're like well shit uh we don't know how to deal with um with taking beer in containers out of the brewery uh fuck 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 as long as it's under this it's fine there's because there's a lot of laws that were crafted i mean they were they're kind of hastily crafted that were kind of like well Okay, that's kind of illegal, but so long as it's under X and you're like really, really like your craft, it's fine. And they did that without any, they kind of did that without any foresight as to how big craft beer has become. I think they made a lot of these laws um, 
with the anticipation, like, well, we'll just deal with this fad and then it'll go away. But did it, did it say what where it came from? It doesn't say when the legislation was put in place. Uh, the only thing it says is there was the three tier model that emerged after prohibition, um, and then they sought new ways to regulate liquor consumption that some had felt had grown out of control in the pre-prohibition era. Uh, Minnesota made a couple modified versions of the system uh, with a number of exceptions in place, including Mm -hmm. this, and they put this arbitrary barrelage limit on uh, that no one was even close to really hitting. Right. Or if they were hitting, they didn't really have a tap room. Well, it sort of makes sense, because if it is pre-prohibition, I mean, recall that... um... I think that, it was slight post prohibition, but okay. Well, I mean that would pre prohibition would make sense because, especially in that in that upper Midwest, you know they had about every town had their brewery, um, so it was almost kind of a protection measure as companies like Pabst and and Anheuser Busch and Bush um, were uh, were becoming bigger and bigger. And there was also a little bit of xenophobia at the time because they're like trying to trying to uh, uh, protect their breweries from these dirty, dirty Germans. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was pre-prohibition, but I mean, yeah, post well, makes sense as well. I I really have a problem when states put you know like that arbitrary thing and really try to drive it home. Like for example, our neighbors over in Montana to have a <laughs> tap room. You for the longest time you couldn't be over. I think it was 10,000 barrels or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, it's insane. The, the, they just recently bumped it. Oh, good for them. Because they realized that all their breweries were fleeing to neighboring states to run a freaking business. And they would just get to that point and purposely not stop and purposely stop production so they could stay under that limit and not have to find a whole new revenue stream because the jump from losing that taproom revenue to having to pick that up in distribution is huge. Right. So they just stop and be like, okay, well, once they bumped that, it went on a spending frenzy where everyone was like, okay, expand this, expand this, yeah. expand this. Look at all these extra jobs we just created. Oh, wow, crazy, huh? Well, and that one also has a, a good deal of protectionism behind it, that law, because where, whereas I understand from, that I've heard from uh, locals in, uh, from Minnesota was, that law was put in place by the bar and restaurant. You mean owner, Montana or Montana? Yeah, um, the bar and restaurant lobby because they are just looking at these tap rooms and just shaking in their multi-million-dollar little shoesies, um, going, "Well, they're gonna they're they're gonna eat our milkshake." And yeah. the answer is, "Yeah, because you suck." <laughs> but no, so I I hope that uh, the bill that they're trying to pass. Uh, they've already they got ten thousand some signatures on the petition to try to bump the growler limit up. So I'd love to see that go through because growlers are a nice little revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what we've what we've heard from Texas since we were since they passed their beer to go is that it went. I mean, it's getting to be huge down there. The little update we did um, a couple episodes ago. Go check that out. Um, we're showing that the, the beer to go was a huge revenue stream for the breweries. And so, yeah, uh, Minnesota, get your shit together with this here. There's also a couple other Minnesota breweries, uh, like indeed brewing in Minneapolis and bent paddle in Duluth 
that are creeping up to the 20,000 barrel annual mark that are getting nervous mm-hmm. that they're going to have to cut growler sales, which will, which will essentially dry up a revenue stream. Which will, yeah, which, I mean, it's kind of a catch-22 because part of the reason you need the capacity is you're selling a lot of growlers. You're no longer selling growlers, so now you don't need the capacity, you motherfuckers. Or even if you do get the capacity, it's, yeah, yeah. You're, you may now be doing it out wholesale so you're not getting as high of a margin and now you can't hire as many people can't do this and that all right bring your children to beer work day news now all right another theme uh, we've talked a lot about is children in tap rooms um i think we're mostly on the same page as long as the children are at least as well as well behaved as the dogs and the drunks we're kind of okay with it which is good because it's one thing if it's mommy and daddy are stopping by the tap room for a pint quite another when it's the head brewer's kid that just needs a place to hang out for a little while um this article came from craftbeer.com um and it was written by beth demon um basically about the state of benefits and the jobs in the craft beer industry when it relates to child care and it's not great now first of all it's not great anywhere the article references a washington post uh piece from 2014 that basically has the United States ranked last in every conceivable form of government aid to parents, <laughs> which is, it's basically zero. Um, no leave, no paid time off. If you want to drop a kid in this country, you're on your fucking own. Um, and I think everybody kind of knows that. In the wider economy, that's f- oh, kind of okay. But as I said last week, craft beer isn't the place to, to uh, get into if you're hoping to get rich. Um, you're trading, you're trading a, a, a job you ex- get excited for in the morning for being able to come home and afford anything nice after you're done. Be prepared to, uh, and you have to be prepared to try and haggle uh, your mortgage payment with some, uh, some of the beer, free beer you get too. So, <laughs> um, so how does it work if you, if, uh, uh, you work in craft beer and, uh, your entire paycheck would go to daycare if it really uh, happened? And the answer is, for a lot of brewery workers, especially women, it means that you take your ki- you have your kid in one hand and the hydrometer in the other. Um, the article followed a couple of women. Um, first, Danny Oliver, the owner and head brewer at Island Island Brewing in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, she tells a story about having to work while in labor. Um, she says she brewed five beers in the week that she was in labor and finally went to the hospital when her water broke. Damn. Um, <laughs> which, she's a beast. Respect. <laughs> um, now, the reason for that was she just couldn't afford not to. And now she is the owner. And small businesses being what they are, if you're, I mean, if you are the owner, you know that you're going to do some really weird shit. You're going to, you're going to be there for long, long hours. Um, if you want a nice, easy life, corporate America awaits. Just, you're <laughs> not going to have a soul when you're done. So that, it's, it's a, but it's a growing trend because she basically says that she, her co-workers while she's brewing beer are her two kids um and a quote from stacy o'connor who is apparently the taproom manager she does sales and she does delivery for uh headless mumbly in seattle kind of tells a similar story um she says quote so many breweries are small family businesses so it only makes sense as an industry breweries make room for parents uh the craft beer industry uh is in a unique position to remove some of the stigma surrounded uh, surrounding beer by opening up breweries and tap rooms to families both of employees and customers. It's a, the article kind of focuses on how the craft beer culture is evolving to be like the family friendly environment, 
and how it almost needs to do that just to be just so people can afford to work uh, here. Yeah. No, I know there's I know of a couple instances here in the local market. Uh, I mean, one of the big people who actually were pushing to get tap rooms family friendly were the owners of Woodland Empire mm-hmm. uh, because they always had their right. Yeah, two, they had, three kids or two, I think, unless yeah. they had a third. Yeah, they they had their kids at work with them, but th- they had to make sure they were gone by the time the tap room opened, right? Because the kids gonna be in there, right? And so that that's nice when you can do it, but if you can't, then it puts a whole nother hectic, and now you lose a set of hands, and and never mind again, a lot of your revenue is going to childcare, which is enormously expensive, or you basically are working super weird hours and you're be- to try to get around when the tap room's open uh or uh there's the head of the one at one of the local distributors the, kind of their head of craft beer was out doing sales with his baby in his car <laughs> carrier going into a counselor the, the kid strapped to his chest i was at the local big beer fest for the tree fort music fest ale fort and he was there picking up some empty kegs because they do a live canning run there one day and he had his kid on his chest headphones on the kid's ears and a couple half barrels in each hand taking the empty kegs to run back to the warehouse i really hope somebody has a picture of that somewhere because that just <laughs> that 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 should just be that just just be like the i am a father in craft beer yeah <laughs> Um, but the article does state that, I mean, and I kind of dipped into this uh, a little bit last week when I was talking about the, uh, the BA numbers that came in, um, as the industry progresses, some changes will need to keep, uh, will need to happen to keep the best and the brightest still working in craft beer, because while it's, uh, it's admirable that people are willing, able to be parents and work in craft beer, at the same time, literally, one doing one while doing the other, um, it's not a it's it's not a long term solution. Livable wages, expanding benefits um, to tap room, especially to tap room and bar servers who are, are that's where most women in craft beer work. Um, they're going to be have they're going to be something that needs to be talked about in the industry and pushed forward. And um, they mentioned modern times. Um, voluntarily uh, uh, expanding the minimum wage for uh, for everybody in, that works for them to $15 an hour and the beneficial effects of that. So um, it really is going to be a benefit to the industry to make sure once you get up to a certain point, obviously small breweries, small family-owned places, not going to be able to afford that. No, but you're going to have a little more leeway of dragging your kid into work on a smaller scale. And it does stress that community is what's going to make this work now. And that's, I think you'll back me up on this. That's why this is such a fun industry to work in because you got the best people that are willing to, to work together to make this work. So it's going to require the brewery owner that are willing to give their last cent to their workers that they need it and vice versa. Employees willing to put in stupid hours to cover for coworkers or even the boss sometimes just to make the, the whole thing work. It's not going to solve the problem, but it, does, it does mean that this pioneering generation that's starting the craft beer industry are going to be able to raise the next generation of beer geeks. And um, 
we're going to need those, especially if they're being raised in the fermenters. Yeah. I mean, the brewery is the perfect place. I mean, you've got walk-in cooler right there to keep anything the baby needs cold. You've got hot water from the hot liquor tank if you need to heat, if you need to make some formula or something. And then you got usually in the little employee lounge there's a microwave. So, <laughs> what else do you need for the kid? And as the kid grows up, he's exposed to science and exposed to uh, uh, in uh, biology, physics. Um, Some common sense. Don't touch this. This is hot. <laughs> That's boiling. Keep an eye on it. Don't stand in certain places. Don't use those words that you heard uh, uh, heard the assistant brewer say when he got sprayed by that. <laughs> or dropped a keg on his foot. Or... <laughs> So I mean, that's I think it's an educational experience. I mean, I can think of many worse places to have to grow up than a craft beer uh, brewery. I guess what I'm saying is, I didn't think this is where the story would be going, but now that we're here, I'm just gonna say it. If you're a good parent, you'll raise your kid in a brewery <laughs> and raise your kid right. <laughs> All right, Tyler. Anything else today? Uh, nope, just everyone heading over to GABF. Good luck if you're entering the competition. If you're going over there to uh, socialize and participate, have fun. Be safe. Enjoy. Um, I actually do have one thing to add. Um, so last week I mentioned that uh, there was a little bit of confusion with the Brewbound article. Um, they said that Knee Deep had won uh, gold uh, for uh, their Imperial IPA, the Lupulin River. Uh, they actually did get back to me via email and said, uh, "Oops, yep, uh, it was it was silver. You were right." So uh, they said they corrected the article, and so yeah, there you go. We're fact checking Brewbound now. I expect the check is boom in the mail any 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 minute. I'm I know that Brewbound is absolutely rolling in it, so they can afford it. Um, you're welcome, but. <laughs> I don't think that check's arriving. Anyway, this has been It's All Beer. As always, you can reach us at uh, itsallbeer at gmail.com. Send in your news articles. uh, Send in your weird beer facts. Send in anything you want. We are uh, we always love the little suggestions uh, that we get for uh, for things to put on the uh, the podcast. And of course, you can also reach us at It's All Beer on Twitter and Facebook. Um, And I think that'll do it for us. Um, I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman, and don't forget to rate the podcast five stars. Oh, yeah. I always forget that. Yeah, do that, too. All right. I'm out of here. Bye.